0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How's everybody doing today? Good. Yeah, uh, as the video said, um, my name's Carson. Um, I'm not Pastor Jeremy. Um, I'm the youth and young adults pastor here, and I'm so glad uh, that you guys are with us this morning. I've never preached three times in a row. Um... (laughs) So this is going to be the best one yet, right? Uh, Bless God, that's awesome. Um, But yeah, super excited to be with you this morning. Um, Shout out to all the teachers and students to get break this week. A little jealous of that. They don't tell you when you're a student that you don't get to do that as an adult. So that's really cool. Um, But um, hey, um, I think we all have moments in our lives um, that stick with us. um, Sometimes for the rest of our lives, memories that stay alongside us. Um, whether good or bad, I think we all have just points in time, um, things we go through, things we walk through, um, that just kind of just like always stick in our head. Um, And for me, um, one of those moments in my life is actually my seventh birthday. Um, Yeah, I remember being seven um, or turning seven, um, which is a great little fact if you're like, in a college class for a first time, they're like, name a fact about you, which is one of the worst moments you can experience. Um, or, you know, you're on a first date for the first time, they wanna hear about your childhood, or you're doing those little date flashcards, you know, trying to rekindle the flame, and they're like, what, what's something about your childhood you never told me? Um, but for me, that's my seventh birthday. Um, we grew up in a house in Cartersville. I live just north of Cartersville, um, on my way to, on your way to Rome. Um, and I remember, we had a, we had a long front yard Um, And it was tilted, so it never drained quite right. Um, But our house was red, white, and blue. Not because we were particularly patriotic, um, but because we had a blue and white house, and my mom wanted a metal roof so that she could hear the rain, um, because that's what she had growing up. So my dad gave her a metal roof so she could hear the rain hit it, and it was red. So our house was red, white, and blue. and I, and I love that house, but on my seventh birthday, I remember playing in the yard with uh, my two best friends um, and my brother, um, and we hung out the whole day, and, and my parents, you know, they, they got enough money, and they actually got me an air hockey table, which like a full-size air hockey table when you're seven, it was incredible, one of the best days of my life. And um, my mom made two cakes Um, And they were dome-shaped cakes, and one of them was shaped like a basketball and painted as such, and the other one um, was uh, a baseball, and I never played baseball, but my mom got a kit at Hobby Lobby, I think, and those were the cakes I ended up with, and they were delicious. Um, And I think I blew out candles that day. I feel like I blew out candles that day, but I can't picture them on the cake for some reason. Um, And I actually ended up leaving my birthday party before my friends got picked up. I remember that. We were kind of in a rush. But someone had gifted my dad tickets to a football game. And we were going to watch the University of Tennessee um, play the University of Georgia. And the game was in Knoxville. So we had to, we had to book it. Um, and it was actually a pretty late start time. Um, I don't think they start college football games at this time anymore. But it was at Eastern... Time seven forty five kickoff. It just it feels like a weird time, um, but it was a seven forty five kickoff. And we took my dad's truck. It was a nineteen eighty four Ford F one hundred and fifty. It was red and had a white stripe on the side. I don't think we were UGA fans again. I don't think we picked out the colors, um, but I think we decided to root for Georgia on the way there. Um, We had recently. Moved to Cartersville when I was uh, seven. Uh, I was born in North Carolina, and then we moved to Texas, and then we finally moved to Georgia. I don't think we had picked a college football team. My dad was like, who do you want to root for? And I picked UGA. Um, Sorry, I I don't really watch football now, but I was a UGA fan for a brief moment in my life. And um, we got up there, it was a night game, um, and I was corrected after the first two... uh, Uh, services. It's pronounced Neyland Stadium. So we went to Neyland Stadium um, and the lights were bright and there were over a hundred thousand people in the stadium and everyone was screaming and it was nuts. And I was definitely asleep by halftime because I was seven. And um, it was a great experience in my life. uh, One that I remember, I remember it's one of those nice little memories uh, I was asleep the whole way home. My dad picked me up and put me into bed. I didn't have to fake it that time, so he'd carry me. I was actually asleep. Um, and it's just something that I've always held dear to me in my life. It's just one of those memories that's always stuck with me. Um, I was one of four kids, and at one point, my parents had four uh, kids under the age of five. He's not in the room, but I was like, four kids under the age of five, it's crazy. Only Pastor Aaron could do stuff like that, but Bethany's here. So, but... Um, my dad oftentimes worked three jobs. He worked at a steel mill. He'd work like 60 hours a week. Um, he put himself through school and got his master's degree, all the having four kids. He was a busy man. Um, and this was just a day in my life that I actually got to spend time with him. And so I always cherish that. I think about it all the time. And I have a lot of days Um, in my life that stick out to me, maybe none more than that, and I'm sure you guys do too, that you have stories that stick out, and some good, and I also have some bad parts of my life that I really wish I'd forget, Um, but they actually stick with me too, all the same. Um, But one thing that I've learned in this life um, is that time keeps moving. Time keeps moving, and it doesn't stop. Uh, Today, I'm 27, um, and I'm actually closer to my 40th birthday than I am my 7th. Um, if that makes you feel old, it does me too. Uh, it's hard to wrap my mind around. But um, time just continues to march forward. And even when memories fade little by little, um, it seems like we don't get a choice but then to keep going. Time doesn't stop for anybody. First John actually says this um, in verse 17, chapter 2. It says, this world... Is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Um, And as this world continues to fade away over these next two weeks, this week and next week, uh, we're going to be talking about all of that matters. All that matters. Um, And answering questions like why did God put us here and what should we focus on with the time? That we've got. Um, if you'll turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the book of First Corinthians, it will be on the screen. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, if you can't find it, it's in the New Testament. Um, it's right before Second Corinthians, so it's right there. So Paul is writing to a group of churches um, in the city of Corinth. Um, and how letters were written to churches. These were churches that Paul had helped start and minister to, and um, I'm sure he helped lead people to Christ and baptize them, Um, and he wrote a letter, and how it would work is they'd write a letter to a city, and then they'd pass it around to all the churches. So if somebody wrote um, a letter to the city of Canton, um, and we read that letter, then we'd pass it to Revolution, or Canton First Baptist, or Action Church, just some of the churches around here, and whatever Paul thought we were doing wrong, or Maybe he wanted to commend us on a few things. Uh, We would just share that with the rest of the city. So Paul is writing this letter, but he's writing it in response um, to some gossip that's going around in the church, and it's actually gossip about leaders in the church. They're kind of just like dragging Paul and other names through the mud. They're kind of talking bad about him, and Paul's kind of on the defense mode. He feels the need to defend himself, Luckily, this is a time past. Uh, the day we live in today, people don't talk bad about church leaders or anything like that. So that, um, it's okay. Okay, it's fine. Uh, if you didn't laugh at that, we just have a different algorithm on Instagram. So, um, but um, they're dragging his name through the mud and he feels the need to defend himself. But amidst the controversy and Paul's, Paul's response, we get a framework of how one of the greatest followers of Jesus, someone who literally encountered him and ruthlessly committed his life to following him, viewed his own life. Paul gives us this framework for his outlook on how he saw his life. And I'm gonna pick up in verse 19, chapter nine. It says this, "'Even though I am a free man with no master,' I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. And when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew so that I could bring Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. And when I'm with the Gentiles who don't follow Jewish law, I live apart from the law too so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. And this part is where we'll spend most of our time. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training, even the people who lose, right? They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is speaking here on the discipline that it takes to follow Jesus, and he starts with saying, I'm a free man, but his mindset says I would become a slave so that people would know who Jesus was. And I think he meant that language as strong as it sounds. He said, I will do whatever it takes for people to know God, for honest, we really like the opening line of that one section. Even though I'm a free man with no master, that sounds really nice, right? Like, bless God, sin has no hold on me. But let's also remember that Paul said, I would myself become enslaved that people would know God. He also said this in Galatians 5. Um, he was actually speaking to people um, that were kind of becoming lackluster in their faith and turning away from God. He says this He said, You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is one who called you to freedom. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Paul says that our freedom, the time that we've got here, our lives, time that we never feel like we have enough of, is a gift that we would serve one another and not serve ourselves. Paul's mindset on following Jesus is finishing a race, training to win. And I think to follow Jesus, you have to follow him like you wanna win. You have to train and discipline yourself like you're gonna win the race. Paul's whole focus in this passage and his mindset is I only have so much time here and I have to do it well. I only get one shot at this. I'm not gonna get some do-over. This is the race that God has called me to run. And in fact, as we think about what matters, as we talk about what matters to God, the first thing that popped up to me is eternity. The first thing that popped up to me is eternity. Eternity is something we all crave. It's why our to-do lists are too long and uh, men think they're invincible. Ecclesiastes actually says it like this. Uh, Discussing time. It says, He or God has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Eternity is a gift from God that He put inside of us. Because no matter how much we want, but let's be honest, if no matter how much we want to think that we'll live forever, the prime of our lives is really a smaller window than we'd like to give credit to, right? I'll sell myself out. I'm 27, I try to play basketball every Monday night, that's what I like to do, Um, so I should be in the thick of my prime, but every time I play, my knees stop working for 48 hours, I just have to stop. Um, But why else would they go and try and discover a new fountain of youth and stuff like that? We have this idea of eternity in our heart, and the Bible teaches us that it's a gift. The hardest part about life is that we peak at knowledge at 16 and 17, and then Forget everything else and live clueless the rest of our lives, right? That was a joke. That was for the parents. I used to be 16 and 17. Um, We have eternity in our hearts, but our minds can sense that our bodies have an expiration date. Life is more complex uh, than we think as a follower of Jesus. Our souls feel eternal, but our mind and our bodies, they know that we will expire. And Paul is trying to convince us to listen. Our life is short, our life has an end. Everything about our life here also has an impact on eternity. And Paul said the only part that he was thinking about is the finish line and beyond. The only thing that he was thinking about is the finish line and beyond. I've actually got an illustration that many of you guys have seen before, um, I'm sure, but it's, it's a little, it, I think it's the best way to communicate what I'm talking to. I actually have this rope right here, um, and I'm going to borrow this illustration from another pastor. This illustration's a little bit older than I am. So it was before my seventh birthday. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out this rope. You guys got to see this. I didn't do good in the first two services. Look at that. Oh, technique. Come on. I didn't work on that in between. It's fine. Um, I said I should have been a cowboy earlier, but um, we'll move past it. That was a rest in peace Toby Keith thing. Um, so we have this rope. There we go. Um, so we have this rope, Right? And I want you to imagine that this rope just continues on and on. It goes past this stage, through this back door, and it wraps around the earth a few times even. It continues. There's no end to this rope, right? You guys can imagine a rope with no end. Um, And then I want you to believe that this red part right here on the end of the rope is actually the span of our life while we're here on this earth. Okay, so this is our lifetime here on this earth, whatever, how many you get, 8,900 years. Um, And this is the rest of eternity, our life with God. This is the life that's going to continue. The Bible teaches that we have an eternity and we're going to exist somewhere. And there's a lot of people, a few generations before me, that said, I'm going to just, save all my money and do whatever I can so I can really enjoy this part of my rope. I really want to have a good time. The first two services laughed at that. Um, And there's a lot of people that are around my age and maybe a little younger that said, I'm going to have a really good time right here before my knees stop working and I make noises when I sit down and I'm going to live it up and I'm probably going to have no money back there, but I'll be old anyway. Um, And so that's kind of like how we tend to live our life. And this is just such a small portion of the rope. And Paul said this when he talked about his life and the span of it. He said, my entire mindset is right here. My entire mindset is on the finish line. I'm thinking about the part of my life that leads me into eternity. I'm thinking about the part right here that's gonna spend either with Jesus or apart from him. I'm thinking about the goal ahead of me and not necessarily what happened 10, 5 yesterday or tomorrow or the other direction. He said, I'm gonna keep my mind on the finish line because that's what's gonna help me run the race. And I think oftentimes we think about, oh, you have to be careful here because you don't wanna hurt yourself back there. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You have to be careful here because you're setting yourself up for an eternity. You're setting yourself up for something. Paul said he's gonna continue to keep the finish line in front of him. He said, I'm gonna fight the good fight and keep the faith, right? He said, I'm not gonna get tired because the only thing on my mind is this goal that I'm keeping before me because a lot of people are running a race, but I don't just wanna run the race, I wanna win. That's why he said in our passage, I'm gonna run with purpose in every step. And people are so disciplined to run for something that won't last, but I'm gonna run for something eternal and I'm gonna win. Jesus, when he talked about eternity in his most famous sermon in Matthew 6, said this. He said, don't, stir up, don't store up treasures here on earth where moss will eat them and rust will destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. He said, store up your treasures in heaven where moss and rust can't, tr- can't destroy, thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus taught that we should keep our treasure, eternal, because everything here can be ripped away from us. We could lose everything tomorrow. But he said, when your hope and your joy and your treasures are eternal, those are things that can't be stripped away from you. Those are things that nobody can take for you because they're stored in heaven. They're not stored here where something can be stripped away and taken from you. And Paul even told his prodigy, Timothy, he said this, He said, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything else with it when we leave. But the truth is this. This reminds me of the second thing that God said matters to him. We have eternities in our heart, right? We we have souls that exist that are just gonna continue on and be somewhere they're gonna be eternal. The only thing that you and I have that's going into eternity is other people. The only thing that's going to continue to exist beyond this life is other people. It's actually one of the more uh, difficult parts about life that other people are always going to be around, but it's also the most exciting thing that people can go with us. Human beings are the only other thing that are going to meet with us in eternity. If you've been with us in our lobby, uh, which I imagine most of you have been in our lobby, it's really hard to um, get in this room without going in the lobby. So I imagine you've been in there. Um, But there's a red wall out there. Has everyone seen the red wall? You've seen the red wall. There's a lot of words on it. It's hard to miss. It's a red wall. And um, it says a lot of things about our church, different things like, um, the values we hold as a church, phrases we wanna put into practice, things we believe and should practice, and community, and also different ways that we wanna communicate the truth that God has laid on our hearts. I feel like every time I read that wall, um, I notice something different about it. Um, I've read it plenty of times, but I feel like I always hone in on something a little different. Uh, this past week when I was thinking about the things that matter to God, one phrase stuck out to me. It asks this, it says, which way is your arrow pointed? Which way is your arrow pointed? It's asking the question, what direction are you headed? The hope is, as follower of Jesus, that our arrow or internal compass, our lives, would be directed towards God, our heavenly father, right? Like becoming more like Jesus, being with him. And I believe this wholeheartedly. If our arrow is pointed towards God, there's people along the way. There's people along the way, people we need, people that need us. And Jesus modeled this kind of lifestyle of being with God, thinking of the eternal things, and being with people. Um, And I'm sure he held both of them in his mind very well. Um, But it seems constantly as you read the gospels, the different stories of Jesus, you read things like he was in a desolate place and then he would encounter people. And Jesus would spend time with, in prayer, and then he would be with people. And then he would go a little farther, and he'd pray like he did in the garden. And then his disciples were there. And it seemed like God's life was built around eternity and people. He was always with the Father, who is eternal, focusing on the finish line that was ahead, just like Paul talked about. But there were always people along his path, in his in his um, life with God. And I think the same thing happens to us when we open our eyes. And I think if we wanna be like Jesus and we wanna become like him, then every moment we have with people needs to be filled with intentionality. It can't just be something that passes by. I'm reminded of a story. This isn't my notes, but I'm reminded of the story, and maybe you guys are familiar with it. There was a lady who had a blood issue, and it went on for a very long time. And Jesus is walking down the street, and it's crowded, and he can't really go left or right, right? Like, he's crowded. His disciples are pressing around him. There's a crowd following him. He's actually on a mission. He's going to heal somebody. Um, and he's, he's going a specific direction. He's making his way. And all of a sudden, he stops, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples look at him a little crazy. They say, a lot of people touched you. We're in a crowded street. And he was like, no, someone touched me. I felt power come out of me. And this woman was healed. She identified herself. It's this this beautiful story. But what it teaches me about Jesus is, even when you've got yourself on a mission, there are going to be people that show up in your life. One of our things that's not written on that wall, but it's actually a value we hold as a staff um, here. I'll let you in on a little insider, insider secret. One of the values we hold as a staff is that we are always gonna prioritize people over tasks. It's one of the things we try to do. We always wanna prioritize people um, because we believe that that is what Jesus modeled for our lives. He always prioritized people even before the thing he was on his way to do he was willing to heal that lady. He felt the power come out of him and he was willing to stop and take intentional time with her. For us to walk like he walked though, I think we need a few things. If we wanna be the type of people who live like Jesus and follow him, I think we need a couple things. And those two things, just to name them, would be grace and accountability. Um, Grace towards others, accountability with our fellow believers, um, and if you believe this, I, I think I say this every time I'm on the stage because I say it in youth all the time. I always say note takers are history makers. Um, and, if you, and if you want, you can write these down. Grace and ability, accountability. I'm going to share a short word on each. Grace is this. Um, a few weeks ago during our 21 days of fasting and prayer that we did in January, I shared a message on John 4 where Jesus encounters the woman at the well. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that entire message right now. I'm just giving you a heads up. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Jesus um, the woman, And the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan woman. Um, and a Samaritan and a Jew, they didn't like each other. Just to give you the briefest history I can, um, at one point, Israel got in the promised land. They established the kingdom of Israel. And then all of a sudden, the kingdom split. The northern kingdom drifted away from God a little bit faster than the kingdom of Judah, and they resented each other for it. And the northern kingdom established their capital, their new altar to gods that were not the God that Israel served in Samaria. And so they kind of blamed each other for causing the problems. So Jews did not deal well with Samaritans. They didn't like each other. It seems that people that don't like each other, people groups that don't like each other, have existed for eternity, right? It seems like there's always people that don't like each other. But the great thing about Jesus is, which I love, is he doesn't really care. Um, he doesn't really care how long something's existed. That's it doesn't bother him at all because he was there before it all began, and the world he created was without sin. So as like it doesn't matter how deep and evil and hatred and everything. Like he's willing to make all things new. That's one of the things I love about Jesus because he's restoring all things to himself. So Jesus begins to interact with the Samaritan woman, um, and she's really not having it. Um, he asks her for a drink of water, and she replies like this. It says this in John 4. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So this woman is there, it says a couple verses before, in the middle of the day. It's noon, it's a hot time to go get water. And Jesus' disciples had gone into the village and it's just her and Jesus. And what that tells us is a lot of women went to go get water at the well together. Kind of like how women go to the bathroom together, you know, that kind of situation. Um, And so she's at the well alone, which says she probably doesn't have a lot of people that like her. Even it says that she had five husbands um, and it seems like she had something in her life that made her be filled with shame, that she had to go to the well alone. And the woman was surprised. She said, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus didn't respond with, well, I am the son of God. Well, I am the savior of the world. Well, I kind of deserve this drink of water. He responded like this. He said, actually, I've got an offer for you. He said, I've got living water, otherwise known as what we would refer to as eternal life. He gives her this invitation to be part of eternity and tells her with this water, she'll never be thirsty Again, it's an incredible story that ends in her exclaiming to an entire town at the very end, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She immediately recognized him as the Savior. It's this beautiful story of redemption and restoration and I want to go back to the beginning of their conversation because I think what Jesus does here kind of is like a masterclass on how to talk to people, which is kind of what he does. Um, but as we read here, it's just one tiny picture of who Jesus was that just was like an example of how he lived and shaped his life. At the very beginning of the story, when he asked for water, he started by looking at her and just saying, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. His opening line was, I'm thirsty. Will you get me a drink. Jesus, who was fully God and was fully man, says to a woman, everyone told him that he was supposed to have nothing in common with. He lets her know that he's human. He's fully God, but he's fully human, and he just wanted something to drink. And I think if there's one thing we need more of as the church when it comes to people, it's to let them know how human we are. Because people who do not know God needs to see our humanity and what God has done for us. They need us to step off our high horses, not to be holier than thou, not to say, look at me, I'm free from sin. Because as we saw at the end of the story, if we've truly encountered God, there's no reason for us to hide our humanity. She said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And she felt no shame. And this was a woman, if you read the text, had five husbands. I mean, you don't get five husbands just by chilling. You know what I'm saying? So she had done some stuff, but she said, come see a man that told me all I ever did. And I don't have to walk in this shame anymore. And people need our humanity because every time that we encounter someone and we create a pride position, we automatically create a shame position. I'll say that again. Every time we create a pride position, we create a shame position. And Jesus didn't create shame for people that didn't know God. Actually, when he did shame people was often people who claimed to know God and did not represent him well and were proud of it. But Jesus did not create shame for people who didn't know God. And the second thing we need um, from people is accountability. Because I believe accountability holds us fast to jesus um have any of you guys ever been in love if you're next to your spouse you can raise your hand uh if if your spouse can see you you can raise your hand if you guys go ahead raise your hand go ahead let them know you've been in love okay great i've been in love too i think love gave me a lot of trouble um growing up i think love gave me a lot of trouble in my adolescence um don't worry, I told this story in the earlier service with Madeline, so she knows. But um, I dated two girls before I met, I met my wife. Again, she's aware. Um, but I dated two girls before I met my wife. I dated one in high school, and then I dated one early in my college years. Um, and both girls I dated before Madeline actually had birthdays around mine. Um, I was born on the 11th of October, um, and so was my first girlfriend. We both had the same birthday. Um, and uh, the second girl I dated was actually born on October 15th, just four days after me. Um, Anyway, quick side note, Um, I'll tell you this. I think I can say this uh, because uh, the Bible's pretty clear on it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think zodiac signs are witchcraft. Um, I think it's like demon worship. Uh, We can talk after if you disagree. That's fine. But um, the Bible seems pretty clear. But um, it doesn't mean that those things are a lie. It just means that they're a shadow of the truth and just close enough to true to make them sound good. Um, That's kind of how any evil works. They're just close enough to true to make you interested. Um, and so with how those things work, anyway, I don't know whether it was narcissism or how much I love myself, but I know that I dated these girls because we had a lot in common, because we mostly agreed on everything, because we liked the same stuff. We both had the same personality, which I would describe as loud. Um, that's, that's how I describe my personality. But we also had similar flaws and weaknesses, and it was very unhealthy. Um, if your spouse was born in the same month as you that's not what I'm saying. I want you to hear this. Um, when I fell in love with Madeline, she was and is nothing like me. And I love that about her. I love that about her. Our first date was about eight hours long, and I almost proposed right then, but I didn't have the ring yet. And I, but I met her, and I knew. And while we carry a lot of the same values, me and her, because we love Jesus, we could not be any more different we are very different people. And honestly, that's kind of why I love her. She's nothing like me, um, which is good, because I'm, I'm crazy. Um, but that's, <laughs> bless God. Um, but that's my favorite picture of accountability. I actually have friends I feel the same way about, uh, not that I'm in love with, but like that I look to um, because I love them for the same reason that I love Jesus. They're nothing like me, but I want to be more like them. I need to be more like Madeline and other people in my life to be like Jesus. And that's what accountability looks like. I think oftentimes in marriage and friendships, we shy away from accountability. We're naturally drawn to people who tell us we're right all the time. We love a hype man, we love somebody to tell us that we're doing great and support all our ideas and yeah, they were wrong and you were right. We love that stuff, but that's not accountability and that's not gonna lead us to closer to Jesus. To be held accountable is to surround yourself with people that make you more like Jesus, who are willing to tell you when you've made mistakes, who are willing to tell you that you're in the wrong. Some of you guys get that from your spouse all the time. I mean, come on. Is it, okay, we'll move past it. Um, but the key is to surround yourself with people who aren't the same as you, but make you more like Jesus and bring out the best in you. Surround yourself with people that bring you a little bit more to Jesus. Because I have to be more like Madeline to be more like Jesus. I know that. She's on my route there. There is no way that we're getting closer to God without getting closer to people. So my question is you, to you is, which way is your arrow pointed? Because your arrow's pointed a direction. You're going somewhere. And if you want to be more like Jesus, you're gonna come across a lot of people. Some people that you need so that they can just hold you accountable and point you to him. And some people that need to see your humanity that need to see your grace so that you can point them to Jesus. We need people to come into eternity with us. It's the only thing we can take. And that's the very reason Jesus came to this earth was to be with people. That he, through the power of love, would take us and all the people we know to spend forever with him. And if we're gonna live for this, we need to be people who live for the finish line. We say, I'm gonna discipline myself that I could finish the race, and not just finish it, but win. Because we're all disciplined in something. We're all disciplined. Even if you're disciplined in being unorganized, we're all disciplined in something. And we wanna be people who are disciplined and finishing the race and following Jesus. Because I personally, as we all have memories, I can't go back to my seventh birthday, as fun as it was, right? I can't travel back in time. It was awesome. We all have memories. We wish we could go back to that day, that moment. But if I'm honest, I don't know how much of my seventh birthday I remember versus how much I've seen through pictures and videos because memories fade. And first John said, the earth is passing away. And time doesn't stop no matter how long we hold on to our memories. It keeps moving forward, but we only have so long here on this earth. And Jesus has called us to be committed and disciplined in following us because eternity and people, things that we need to keep in front of us are what matters to God. Now I'll leave you with this before we respond. Uh, there's a pastor in New York. His name is Pastor Rich Velotas. and he wrote a book called Good and Beautiful and Kind. And I read it because I was like, that's three things I wanna be. And he said this, I have learned repeatedly that it's much easier to preach the kingdom of God than it is to live it we can all talk a good game. So next week, as we continue this series, we're going to talk about what it means to live out the things that matter to God. I want to pray with you guys before we go. Um, If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. um, I have three prayers that I want to offer up before God um, as a community of believers together. And the first one is this. Maybe you looked at this rope analogy and you saw the red tape and you saw the finish line and you said, I don't really know where I'm gonna spend my eternity. I'm a little bit uncertain. I'd like to commit, but I just don't know. And if that's you, um, and you wanna make that decision to follow Jesus, and you say, I wanna spend eternity with Jesus. I wanna commit my life to him. I wanna run my race. Um, if that's you, would you lift your hand um, just so we can pray and say, God, we just accept you into following Jesus. Um, and the second prayer is this. I'd like to pray for those who feel like they've been living for themselves, that they haven't really been aware of other people's needs and things around them. Maybe they've struggled to offer other people grace. And they said, I haven't really offered people grace, the grace that God has given to me. I know in my own life, God's given me more grace um, than I've given other people. And if that's you, if you wanna be someone who offers other people grace and more of it, and more of it, you wanna become more like Jesus, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you this morning. I know my hands raised. I'd like to be more filled with grace. I'll see your hands. You can put them down. Um, I feel good. Let's 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 pray those two things together. Will you guys pray with me um, as a church? Um, God, you saw hands raised for people who wanted to commit their life to you this morning, um, and I just ask as they enter into a relationship that you would surround them with people. Um, that they can share their story with, that'll bring them closer to you, that they would be able to share their humanity. I pray that all of us in relationship with Jesus would be able to share our story. And I just ask that you would surround us, especially as new believers, with people that will hold us accountable, that will help us run our race, that will help us be more disciplined, that would help us be more like Jesus, and that you give us great courage in our walk. And God, I pray for those who feel like they've been living for themselves, myself included, who feels like they struggle to offer people grace that you've offered us so freely all the time, I just ask you to help us to be grace-filled people, that you keep it in front of us, this finish line, but also this mindset that said, God has shown me grace, I want to show it to other people. Keep it in our head, keep it before us, help us to watch our tongues and our, our mouths and our lives and just say, I want to be a person that offers grace to people. I pray that you'd help us to live that out with great courage. And I pray over the church today, Lord, as we sit here, God, that as we go out, as as we live our week, God, help us to be people that look for people. God, found people, find people. And as we have been found by you, help us to find others and bring them close to you. I ask all this in your name that you would receive honor and praise for it. In your name, amen.